a rich tradition. College Football Podcast is now live. Hello and welcome to a rich tradition college football podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Stoltenpole. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. Roberto, week two was quite eventful, and even here post-week two has been quite eventful as well. Yeah, um, I think this should just be dubbed You Don't Know Crap Weekend this past weekend. Um, I, I feel like any team that we felt confident about, most teams that we felt confident about, showed us um, a chink in their armor. Um, a if you if we were hesitant about a team, they were like they they kind of made us raise our eyebrow. Um, you know, then you had a couple of teams who you know really did solidify, continue to solidify what we think about them. But at the end of the day, it just was surprising um, to see the upsets that we saw, the team struggle that we saw, um, and you know just some of these big wins that I know we're going to talk about here in a minute. Yeah, so let's get to the Clay Helton news, yeah. since that's here sort of post uh, uh, post the week. Uh, Clay Helton out as the head coach there for Southern California. I don't think it's a gigantic surprise. Um, he's a nice guy. They tried to hold on to that for a while, and there's parts of that that are certainly commendable, but ultimately it's just not the standard. The job wasn't getting done, and uh, wins and losses are the bottom line. So goodbye, Clay Hilton, and hello, job search for the uh, University of Southern California. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, this is I, – I thought Hilton should have been fired a while ago. Um, I kind of knew that last year he got saved because, um, you know, because of the pandemic. Um, you know, he was a really nice guy. You know, that's what we hear. You know, he had, he was a really nice guy. Um, I cannot remember the life of me, the kid's name right now. Uh, the, the blind the blind kid who, you know, he gave a scholarship to to play center. Like, that's, you know, that's just the kind of guy that he was in a nutshell. Um, and, and, you know, kudos to him. Like, I really am glad that he was, you know, a good guy. Uh, but, <clears throat> like, every big-name recruit in California went somewhere else than USC. And that is a problem. Um he could not ever since 2016, the Rose Bowl with Penn State. Um, Darnold took a step back. He never seemed to have a, a quarterback that was elite. You know, the the JT thing, you know, and Slovis, you know, that whole predicament that just you, you can't you can't be at USC. You can't lose recruits the way he was losing them and expect to keep your job. And um, like you just said, here comes the here comes the search. Um, has there been a name that you've heard that sounds, let's sort of start at the bottom and move upward or at the back? I don't know. How, let's just start here. Cause I think it's interesting. Has there been a name that you've heard that sounds the most ridiculous? Cause I feel like I've heard a lot of ridiculous sounding names. Uh, I'll give you two that I thought were, were ridiculous. Um, Urban Meyer and, um, John Gruden. <laughs> I didn't hear John Gruden. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. That's really bad. Um, yes, Urban Meyer, I think, ends up being ridiculous, even though it kind of sounds cool, like it sounds logical on the on the t- front end, and it sounds like, hey, Urban doesn't like 
Urban's going to not make it in the NFL and and these different things, and he's gonna he's gonna not accept losing and uh, the way he's going to lose in the NFL. He's not going to accept it, and he's going to run back to college, sort of the way Saban kind of did. And while I think there might be a glimmer, like a silk, like a small little thread of that, I think probably Trevor Lawrence helps save it because Nick Saban never had a Trevor Lawrence on his roster and Urban Meyer does. So Trevor maybe saves things for Urban to stick it out for a year um, or longer if they don't uh, fire him for something else. Uh, the other ridiculous name I think was Lane Kiffin. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, do people not remember? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's going to – I don't think he would go back and – I mean, they fired him on the, tar, the, the tarmac. So, yeah, I don't think that's happening again. Mm-mm. And and also, I kind of think Lane Kiffin likes being where he's at, you know? Yeah, and if he doesn't, he's a really good actor. You know, if, yeah. if he's not as thrilled or if he has his eyes set on something else, and I think probably these coaches do a good job of putting on the front – They've, I'm sure, gone to all the seminars about how to act on the microphone and that sort of thing. But Lane does a really good job of, you know, selling Oxford and selling Old Miss, and you don't really get the sense that he's looking elsewhere. Yeah, which seems to be a, a theme through coaching altogether. You know, Bill Clark at UAB, uh, what's his name there at Louisiana, uh, Napier at Louisiana. Uh, even Luke Fickle has stuck it out at Cincinnati for a while, and and Matt Campbell has stuck it out at uh, Iowa State for a while, which Matt's probably going to stay at Iowa State for a while. Uh, so I think it's a new-age thing for coaches. Kirby was a defensive coordinator for you know a thousand years. So I think it's a thing now for coaches to stick it out and wait for the right spot to come open. And for all those guys we just named, excluding obviously Kirby with a, a head coaching job now, for all those guys that we just named, this this looks like a right situation or – Maybe not situation, but a right job, the big job, resources, all those things. Yeah, I, I'll tell you this: that there was a name that I heard that I scoffed at at first, and then give me gave, give me now a couple hours later. Now that I've been able to think about it, I don't hate it as much. Um, and that's Lincoln Riley. Um, Oklahoma's about to go to the SEC. There, I, I would. My assumption is that they will still be able to recruit really well but they may not be able to recruit as well as they are. And, um, you know, then now you've got to go through Georgia, Bama, Florida, A&M, LSU every year to get to your conference title game. And if you go to the Pac-12, I mean, year in and year out, it's really just Oregon, you know, and maybe Utah. Yeah. Um, I don't maybe know. Maybe UCLA, yeah. So it's like, not as – you you can out resource those places at Oklahoma. Yeah, uh-huh. you're not out resourcing, or at the very least, you're matching resources at Bama, A and M, LSU, Georgia, Florida potentially. You're matching, and and then Texas as well. Wouldn't that wouldn't that be a quick, uh, swift kick to the pants if uh, Lincoln Riley bolts for the Pac-12 as Oklahoma's making its way to the SEC? Yeah, I like, and again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. But I just I heard that name and I was like, you know what? I, I sc- again I scoffed at it at first, but then I thought about it more. It kind of makes sense. It really would. Now, All right, so, go, go, ahead. go ahead. I knew what question you're going to ask, and we're going to have the same answer. So, well, well, no, I, I, I was going to take us in a different direction, oh. sort of, uh, similar on your lines of 
I would I want to know where like on the pecking order if you're making if the athletic director has made his list let's just say he's made it already I'd like to know where, where Mark Stoops falls on the list I know it's not up mm. top but I'd like to know where he falls because I want to know if anybody's paying attention to what he's doing at Kentucky or if it's and maybe the fit's not right for for Mark and and USC I that's fine I understand that I would just like to know where he's at on the list because it feels like he's doing a a really bang-up job, Sam Pittman the same thing, and I I almost would like to know what's the difference between what the two of them have done outside of Sam or uh, Kentucky doesn't have a win over a ranked Texas team. They just have the longevity in terms of being a solid group that have built their identity and, you know, played well. I think there's even some uh, 10-win seasons in there somewhere. So, yeah, I'd be interested to know kind of what the differences are between Pittman and – Stoops and then where Stoops would rank and Pittman himself on a on a list for a job like this. Yeah. And I'll say this, though, like I said before, or I mean, I'm, or I'm sure that you were heading this way. For me, I really do think that James Franklin's the best man for the job. It's kind of Hollywood, isn't he? Well, not only not just that, but it kind of goes back to why I think he would be a great um, a great replacement for Saban because he kind of doesn't give a crap. He's kind of got this mentality of he doesn't care about what came before him, you know. Um, he will, but, he, but he'll be all over people's, you know. He'll be all over TikTok. He'll be he'll do all of the promos on Jimmy Kimmel or whatever shows air, you know, over in LA. Like he'll be all down for that. He'll be all a part of those. He'll buy into the the he'll buy into the culture and the brand that is LA. And mm-hmm. I, I just think he would be. I think he would be great at it for the like I. There's a lot of people who may listen to this and scoff like, you know, do you remember last season? Well, I, I don't I don't we've already talked about this Ignacio. I do not put all of last season on him. Um, I look at his I look at what he's done since being at Penn State. And I mean, yes, we would have expected him to win more against Ohio State than just, you know, the two times that he's done it. But I think that he's like he, he wins these games you know he, he beats ohio state and he still doesn't make the playoff that year and he's just kind of like like what the crap do i have to do <laughs> like i just i just beat the best program in this conference like how, what else am i supposed to do and mm-hmm. so again it, it kind of goes back to the whole i think he's you know he is a used car salesman i mean that in, in the best way possible for what he is as a recruiter and then you go into the buying into the brand, and then you also go into the fact now, just like with Lincoln Riley, you go you go to the Pac-12 where you only have to worry about one team, and that's Oregon, and that's and you're and it's really never to the level that Ohio State is because while you're at UC or while you're at USC, you could actually recruit better than Oregon does. Well, and and that's kind of the funny thing is there's a lot of Southern California players on Oregon's roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as a lot of Southern Cali- California players over here on the East Coast. So you just start winning Southern California. If Texas could start winning Texas again and Miami could start winning Miami again, then you know those three programs would be in great shape, really great shape. So just go to Southern California and win Southern California, and you'd almost halfway be there. Um, and then James would have, I think, the pedigree nationwide to dip into Texas, to dip back over this way, and maybe even dip down into the South as well as he needed to. So, yeah, I think the the uh, the the recruiting is there, um, the buying into LA, which would go into recruiting, is there, and then uh, people have have checked off the development uh, check mark or uh, 
you know, box as well, that he does a pretty good job of developing guys and bringing guys along and getting them ready for the next level. So there's, yeah, I, I don't hate James Franklin. I love, I like the name Luke Fickle. Um, I don't think Matt Campbell would go. I don't think you want to mess with anybody who isn't interested in recruiting. So yeah. no, no Matt Campbell, no Chris Peterson, Chris, yep. not even close. That was one of the ridiculous names I was going to mention, but with a sense of like what sounds like a good idea, but then isn't a good idea. And I think Matt Campbell and and Peterson would be on that uh, would be on that realm. I don't know where Luke Fickle sits in the recruiting range. Uh, I've not really heard a whole lot about who he is as as a recruiter, but um, yeah, I, I think you want a recruiter. I think James Franklin fits really really well and checks a lot of boxes that we have identified what are the boxes though that USC's identifying because they're dealing with a lot of just university stuff that was another yep. reason why people yep. kept saying they're 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 holding on to Luke or uh, to oh my god Helton because he was sort of a bright spot in all of this mess and ugliness with a trainer and sexual abuse and the uh, the aunt Becky and the yeah. <laughs> uh, the admission scandals and, and whatever that was. And Lynn Swan wasn't super great as an athletic director Dude. and a bunch Dude. of other stuff that yeah. just wasn't great. He was dubbed by Pete Thamel as the worst AD hire in the last 20 years. Like Pete yeah. Thamel knows what he's talking about. Right. And to call him that like, so yeah, look, to, to sum this all up, like, is there another name that you think is the best hire outside of pro outside of probably um, James Franklin? Well, and I, I think too would be I would almost love just from the the movie script idea. I'd love for them to go dig Bill Clark out of UAB. Go get the Birmingham, Alabama guy and bring him to to you know to Southern California. We'll definitely be touching more on this as the as the as as the story unfolds. I think they're going to be making a hire sooner than later because they don't want to miss early signing period. Um, but let, let's go ahead. Since you mentioned Bill Clark, let's let's go ahead and talk about the you know the game that I don't know if you got to watch or not, but I was excited to watch in Georgia versus UAB this weekend because I I have to take a lap. I will run the stairs. I've got to run the stairs, Spencer. Mm -hmm. I got to go run the it. stairs. Go for it. Um, so Thursday Thursday afternoon, I got told that um, that Stetson Bennett was probably going to be starting. Um. Yeah, I got told Stetson Bennett was going to be starting over Carson Beck. Uh, Beck apparently didn't have a great week at practice, and I'm not going to lie, man. Um, I was mad. I was. I accused. I accused Kirby of it being the most Mark Rick thing he's done since being hired there. Just being conservative instead of instead of trying to help take care of the future of the program. You're playing a, you know, you're playing a lesser, lesser team. You should be able to handle business, um, you know, with with Carson Beck at quarterback. Let the redshirt freshman get the get the reps. And I'm gonna tell you, man, I was dead wrong. <laughs> uh, there's a reason why Kirby Smart is a head football coach at University of Georgia, and I am not. Um, Seth Bennett balled out. He was 10 for 12 for 288 yards and five touchdowns. There was a point there where he was he had five receptions and four touchdowns. Um. Carson five Beck. attempts. Five, yeah, five attempts. I'm sorry. Five for five. Yeah, five attempts. Uh, five catches. Five attempts with um, four touchdowns. Stetson and, Bennett's not a receiver. Stetson Bennett had five yeah, attempts. Yeah, my bad. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, 
Carson Beck comes in. He throws one touchdown pass, but the rest of the time, he looked absolutely awful. He looked lost. He looked like he didn't know what he was doing. The and mailman delivered. The mailman delivered, and whew, he delivered quite well. Um, so I'm here to take a lap or take you know take the stairs and run some stadium stairs uh, because I was wrong about Kirby Smart. Well, and I think there's a lot of people who should be joining you because I read a tweet from Chip Towers, who works there for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and he said when Bennett was announced in the stadium as the starter, everybody booed it. That's and so I really was, I, I was really, I was really disappointed with that yeah, because there, you know, obviously Stetson's not the, he's not the five-star guy that we want, but the dude saved the season last year. He most certainly did. We, we, we were going to lose the game to Arkansas if it wasn't for Stetson Bennett. Yep. Had, had Stetson Bennett not been there or not been ready or not, not been whatever, and we had to go with Dewan Mathis the whole time, we would have lost that ball game the way we were playing and the way that Dewan Mathis just was not ready. Deer in the headlights, whatever. He wasn't ready. Stetson Bennett saved that game. He goes and crushes Auburn, which should always get you a, a check mark in the right department. And he plays really well against Tennessee. And then he's got a halftime lead against Alabama, and he's not able to hold on to that. He's got us a 14-point lead with two big, uh, with a big touchdown throw against the University of Florida. Has to leave after that play. The guy saved the season. No ifs, ands, yeah. or buts about yeah. it. And People, so to get that kind of treatment yeah. from Athens, yeah. from Sanford Stadium, that was really disappointing, and I'm glad he threw it right back in their face. Me too. And I like even even if I didn't agree with that, I would never in my life boo someone. He may be older than I am, playing quarterback at the University of Georgia, but I would not boo him. You notice how I made a joke about how long he's been there? Yes. That's what that was. Um, that was clever of you. Thank you. Also, just to point out one other thing to defend Stetson Bennett, and, and, and this is just my ignorance, you know, just not me leaning on what I want in the moment and not what's best for the team. Not only in that Florida game, he separated his shoulder, his throwing mm -hmm. arm, came back, finished the game, and it's not his fault we lost to Florida, by the by. It's the fact that we had so many injuries. Oh, and by the way, we couldn't cover a wheel route. Mm -hmm. um, at all. Mm -hmm. So, but anyway, all right. Yes, uh, Georgia. But I do have to say this just really quickly, and then we're going to move on to the big game of the, of the week. Freaking! If this is what we have to look forward to, it, no, no, there's not going to be another five five completions for four touchdowns kind of experience. But if we're going to look at these kind of routes, these kind of open receivers at times, and getting healthy, because boy, did some of those receivers look healthy this week? This is the Georgia offense that we have been waiting for. Undercurve. So, yeah, so healthy is my biggest takeaway. Yep. Healthy, healthy, healthy. Because I understand health was a big issue against Clemson, but at the end of the day also, if you're going to be being aggressive and throwing the football down the field against UAB is not the same thing as doing it against Clemson and Alabama. I think we can both agree with that. Being aggressive yes. and taking chances and being risky against the teams that you outmatch is not the same thing as being risky and aggressive and going for it against Alabama. It's just 100%. not the same thing. So while it's cute and it's wonderful and it's a great storyline and it's cool to see 56 points and it's cool to see those receivers running down the field, it's it's Birmingham, Alabama, not Alabama. Yeah. So there's and, a difference. And yes, absolutely. But at the same time, these, these guys were healthy. Like Burton, right, no. Healthy is the big takeaway. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. The, the way you made it against UAB the, is not the takeaway. Health is the. That's takeaway. right. Okay. All right. Just the way you made it sound like you were, you were saying this does like this doesn't make like you're not happy at all. Like that's the way you made it sound for a second. So oh. I, I just wanted clarity. That's all. Um, let's um, yeah, we let's, were both 
three and six this last week, by the way. Oh, buddy. Both of us were three and six this past week. Oh, buddy. It was what's so funny is, you know, this week we're, we're making picks on Wednesday night. I do feel a little more confident in my picks this week. Um, we pick on Tuesday nights, and I'm not kidding. Friday morning for my little pick em thing that I do for uh, with a couple of buddies and then the picks that I made on Facebook, I made drastic changes. <laughs> like, I didn't pick Oregon to win, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But, like, yeah, I, I knew our picks were really bad this week. Um, th- thank God we don't do this for money. Um, okay. So let's, let's let's talk about the big surprise, man. To, to me, the biggest surprise of the year so far, it's not Georgia beating Clemson. It, it's, it's not even really Jacksonville State beating FSU. It's It comes down to Oregon going into the horseshoe and really just kind of manhandling. The, I don't care about stats. I'm talking about I watched the game. Oregon manhandled Ohio State for 60 minutes. And they walk out of there 35-28, and they walk out with the biggest win of the season so far for any team. They also walk out with the biggest mulligan card of any team in the country right now. Yeah, and there, and I think you and I glossed over it, not glossed over it to, to sound like we just minimized it, but I think we touched on if Minnesota can run the ball the way that they did. Yep. There's no reason to believe Oregon can't do that, too, and they did, and they did it differently. They didn't I-formation with 17 tight ends. They spread it out, and they powered you right up the middle, and it was – we. that was another thing that I kind of thought about this weekend. While it was so shocking, really and truly nothing happened that we shouldn't have sort of said, yeah, I could see that because yeah. Oregon or Ohio State didn't play super great against the run against Minnesota – yeah, and they've done that before. Where they, I, when was the last time an Ohio State linebacker got drafted really high? Am I am I having a a, a brain fart here? Because I don't feel like Ohio State's had great linebacker play in a long time. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I'm, yeah, I'm somebody, sure. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. sure there's some. I'm sure there's some team, you know, that has linebackers from Ohio State. Like, but but to your point, yes, I agree with you. He, here's the thing, I because I haven't had a chance to go back and listen to it, but I do remember us saying, you know. We reacted to week one. We reacted to Oregon struggling against San Diego State in week one or Fresno State in week one. They needed a last second. They needed a last minute drive to win the game. We were going in with that. And then the knowledge that Justin Flo and Justin Th- and, and uh, Trayvon Thibodeau wasn't playing. That's what we leaned on. We leaned on that Thibodeau and Flo were going to be there. And so we were going to we were going to pick Ohio State. And, and the I, time of the game. Oh, and the time, time of the game. And I picked like. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was pretty smart of me to, to to look at that, to look at the body clock stuff. And holy crap, I was wrong. Um, the, the scary part, and this is why I don't care about being wrong, though. That Oregon defense looked incredible. Yes, they gave up 484 yards of passing. Okay, I get that. But they didn't give up 485, uh, 484 yards worth of touchdowns. Like, I don't mean 484 touchdowns. What I mean is... Those stats, those 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 gaudy numbers that C.J. Stroud put up, and he was very impressive at times. Oregon gave them twenty to twenty. They gave them the twenty to twenty as much as they could have it, but they did not let them in the red zone in the key moments when they when when, when they were trying to get there as best they could. Oregon played sound football, and I'm gonna tell you this: you know who you know who I'm giving the victory lap to, and you're more than welcome to give one to as well. I'm giving it to Anthony Brown. Go take a victory lap, son, yep. because I have I have like I'm gonna take a little credit because I was so excited for him going to Oregon whenever he did, but there was a lot of pundits. I heard them didn't give him any credit 
coming into this game, didn't think he was the man for the job, and that boy came out and balled out against against Ohio State in Ohio State, and I'm super I'm super happy to have watched that. So uh, I agreed. I think C.J. Verdell probably get a victory lap uh, as well. Whole defense probably take a victory lap, um, as you know they they played the kind of game that they did. So just sort of moving along, which is the yeah. next biggest shocker? Iowa State falling flat on their face, or Arkansas sort of reannouncing, "Hey, we're, last year wasn't you know just a flash in the pan. We're we're still here. Sam Pittman still got us uh, supercharged over here in uh, in Fayetteville." To be honest, to be honest, the thing that shocked me the most, and I'm mentioning them very quickly, I promise we won't labor on it, is Texas A&M and Notre Dame. Um, Texas A&M. Okay, yep. Texas A&M looked awful against Colorado. They lost Haynes King at least and probably until the end of October, so he probably won't be there for the Bama game. Um, they looked really, really bad. Like, there, there's no other way to put it. Colorado, kudos to you, but I don't necessarily think you played necessarily great either. I think A&M just played really bad. And um, also, Notre Dame at home against Toledo needed a truly a last-minute drive. Jack Cohn had to go get his finger, his middle finger, relocated because it dislocated. He had to come back on the field and throw a last-minute touchdown to win the game against freaking Toledo. And the reason why I bring Do those you remember two- the— go, Sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, I, no, 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 you go ahead. I just was going to say that those two were the things that baffled me the most because I just expected more from those two teams this year. And, you know, my friend Adam and like my friend Adam continues to say that Texas A&M can, you know, is so much better than Notre Dame. And I honestly, when I look at those two teams as of right now, I think they're the exact same team. I think they're the exact same team that can't run the ball the way they want to. They their quarterback isn't showing up the way he was supposed to. And their defense is playing well, but their offense is just nothing compared to what it should be. And I, yeah, just, just kind of baffled by those two teams. Go ahead. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. So I wasn't as, and I didn't, I don't, I didn't follow everything for Notre Dame, but I expect, and Texas A&M will probably follow suit as well. They, they may be just a little further behind, but I feel like both of those teams will continue to improve. Like that, that's the other thing here about this week is, I don't want to be too damning to anybody because yes, it's fair. still early, and I understand yeah. it's Toledo, and I understand it's Colorado, um, but I don't, and I don't want to get too high on anybody either, um, such as the Georgia comments from earlier. I'm, it's early. There's still plenty of time to improve upon things and get better about stuff, and I do like the moxie or the swagger or whatever it is to go get your finger put back in and then throw. What was like what a twenty yard, twenty five yeah. yard game winner right over the middle? It was cool. like there's a there's a yeah there's an element of that that's kind of like okay, that sounds like something to build on. You don't don't love the whole game performance, but that's something to build on. And the fact that he threw as much as he did against uh, Florida State, and that's their you know they're their whole other thing to talk about at some point. But I I think I like Jack Cone a lot more than maybe I did going into the season, and so. I'm feeling like he could he maybe be a difference maker at quarterback for them. I'm I'm interested to know. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I just wanted to make mention them because those two were the ones that caught my eye the most. But you're absolutely right. We can't we can't overreact after week two if we're going to complain about people overreacting in week one, which you know most people right. did. You know. Um, all right, look, let's go ahead and get the the, the game. 
Which one? Do you want to talk about the Iowa State letdown again, or do you want to talk about Arkansas beating the crap out of Texas like a redhead stepchild? Well, it sounds more fun to talk about Texas getting stomped into the dirt even before they get to the SEC. That sounds yeah. more fun because I think everybody can be a Sam Pittman fan, and yep. I think it's I think it's hard not to be a Sam Pittman fan. Yep. So, and anytime Texas can be horns down and get you know taken to the woodshed, it's glorious. So, by all means. Take a lap, Sam Pittman. Take a lap, ground game. Take a lap, KJ Jefferson, and, and uh, you know just Fayetteville, all of Fayetteville. Yeah, take 100%. a lap. While you're giving kudos, I'll give I'll give away punishment. The entire quarterback room of Texas go run the stairs. And I'm almost on board with with uh, Sarkeesian going and doing it too. I don't love I don't love uh, volleying the quarterback position this early in your. And, and and maybe I, I don't know anything. Maybe I'm out. Maybe I, you know, this you know is not things. as damning as it, you know. I, I'm saying what's, Spencer. What's two plus it's two? Fine. What's two plus okay, two? four? All right. See so you know seventeen. Something. There you go. See yeah. wait, you just messed it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see this broken clocks right only twice a day. Um, so I I don't like the whole back and forth because I think he announced Casey Thompson the starter for this upcoming week. And, and I understand you have to do something if guys aren't playing well. And so maybe there's the intricacies is what I'm talking about of not knowing exactly how to handle quarterbacks when it gets to those situations. But yeah, I, I, I would put Steve Sarkeesian in there because I think you're playing with fire to go back and forth between the two quarterbacks like this when we heard so much about Casey Thompson maybe wanting mm-hmm. to leave. Yeah, like, and I, I thought, I mean, we, we both picked Texas, or I picked Texas to win We did, game. we both picked Texas. Because I thought Hudson Card, you know, I thought he was, I thought he was the dude, you know, but he, here's the stat, like, you know, every now and then I'm going to have a stat of the game. Here's my stat of the game for this. Arkansas had five guys rush for 40 yards or more, and all five of them averaged 6.3 yards a carry or better. Mm-hmm. That... <sighs> Now, I, okay, we can't belabor this because you know we'll go another hour and a half, and I don't want to do that. But I have to ask this question: Is Arkansas really, really good, like second team in the SEC West, good, mm. or is this just taking advantage of a matchup, a matchup nightmare for Texas? Maybe it's a little bit of both, and I think it's probably more on the matchup end. Just to save myself from sounding like I'm uh, opting out of the question. I think it's probably more on the end of taking advantage because, again, it's week two. We don't want to overreact. There's still plenty of time for other things to happen. And I think it's perfectly fine to maybe sit down in in terms of, like, power rankings and sit down and say, yeah, at this point, yeah, maybe Arkansas is better with the idea of saying next week is going to give us new information and we'll recalculate and we'll – you know, we'll re have another power ranking come out. So yeah, if you want to sit Arkansas up at number two in the SEC uh, West, I'm fine with that. Texas is Texas A&M's not, not uh, snatched it away, and uh, you know LSU's not snatched it away. And heck, Auburn's going to have an opportunity to make their uh, claim for it at least through the first three weeks of the season this this coming week. Yeah, we'll get to that game in a minute. I know you love that little tidbit. There. I do. That was you so, love that little that tidbit. So there. It's, it's almost like you just like. If we were at a dance party and I was like wanting to holler at you, you like walked by me and just, you know, nudged up against me. That's what that was. Yeah. Like you yeah, just nudged up against that's, me. That's, yeah. That's All right. exactly what that was. And my wife just almost vomited because she heard that. Um, okay. <laughs> so so look, let's t- let's talk about the game where we're just gonna have Matt Campbell run stadiums for a good hour. Because 
this was like, look, okay, let me just go ahead and say this. I'm sorry. I'm going to be the bearer of bad news to Iowa fans. Your team is not that good. Your defense is elite. Your team is not very good. But Iowa is number two in SMP plus defense. Go ahead. Yes. That they're, Would you like to know who they're behind? Uh, it's probably not Georgia if you're asking. It's Georgia. Oh, okay. Well, right. Sorry. Number one in SMP plus defense. Look, uh, you just can't. You, you can't you can't have only 106 yards passing and 67 yards rushing it will win 27-17 and me be excited about you you as an overall team you had two pick sixes you had another touch you had a, you had four turnovers total that six turnovers in um two games uh, i think three of which went back for touchdowns it, I, i'm not saying that you're not good iowa i'm not saying that at all but your offense is abysmal and it's boring to watch and I had the privilege of watching this game with one of the biggest Iowa Iowa fans I've ever met, and uh, PGA golfer Zach Johnson, name drop out there. Oh my gosh! Um, look, oh I, my gosh! Look, look, I got to mention one time. Pause me, the podcast, everybody, and go vomit in your toilets. Let me. Good lord! Look, I don't have a lot of things. I don't need a, a lot of shameful things. Is it shameful? What a shameful thing. It's okay. <laughs> you and, really just took our podcast and I did. <laughs> but look. Here's the thing, okay? And I was yeah. super, like, it was, it was super awesome to watch the game. And and look, this may not this this may not sound good to Iowa fans, but like I'm looking at your stats, like there's just this isn't sustainable. Now, if you come out in the next game, you know, next couple of games, and you're just you know you start putting together offenses, you know, that are you know are elite, then that's perfectly fine. But Man, I've just been really disappointed at the offense that this team has put out the last two weeks, and that's that's what makes that's what makes it even worse that Matt Campbell lost. Well, and you can't turn the ball over. I mean, they won the ball. They put twenty points on the board against Indiana from an offensive standpoint. The other fourteen points to get them to thirty-four were two pick sixes. They did it against Indiana, forcing turnovers, and they did it here, forcing turnovers. And you're not going to win ball games that way. The most disappointing part of the whole game, or the whole part for Iowa State up to this point is you guys are supposed to be veterans. Like This is supposed to be a veteran team, and the last thing you expect from a veteran team is to turn the ball over like this. Four times in such a big game, it's mind-blowing to do it that way. And that was sort of my one of my larger takeaways here was you guys are supposed to be the experienced group. You're supposed to know better. You're supposed to be able to take care of the ball. And so I'm wondering... If with all of the experience that a lot of these teams have coming back, I, I wonder if there was ever a a moment or maybe it fell through the cracks to sort of make sure you go back over some of the basics and that you almost kind of felt like because we have such a veteran group, we don't have to spend as much time on the basic stuff. And then you maybe didn't spend any time on the basic stuff because you were so excited to be installing new stuff or going over more advanced stuff because this is the veteran group. We don't have to go over the basics, advanced stuff. I wonder how much of that is at play for an uh, an Iowa State or maybe some of these other teams that have been veteran, maybe Miami, some of these other teams that are so veteran that are having a hard time. Yeah, man. Like, I mean, Brock Purdy was supposed to be the reason why Matt Campbell came back. And, and didn't take these job offers that he had thrown at his feet. You know, he, he got a 16.2 QBR, and then Brees, and he had three interceptions, and then Brees Hall, 
had the had the fumble and only averaged four point three yards per carry. But you know, like Brees Hall, I give a little bit more of a little bit more leeway because he has an entire offensive line in front of him who's supposed to help him run the ball, and there was no space. There's no space for him to run, and and that's whenever it comes into what this defensive group for Iowa, man, they are scary. Riley Moss, Jack Campbell, Zach Van Kalkenberg, Van Valkenberg, like these dudes are just beasts. That sounds just, like an Iowa. That sounds yeah, like an Iowa defensive lineman name. Yeah, man. And then and then Caleb Shudak, um, their punter. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm just, that's sorry. That's an I, Iowa name I, as well. That is Tory Taylor. Sorry, that's the kid. Wow. Tory, Ta- Tory Taylor uh, is their punter, and I got to give him credit. He needs to take a victory lap because he helped this team win this game with averaging 51 yards a punt. 51 and... yards a punt. His longest was 69 yards, Spencer. 69. Yeah, 69 yards. I bet the college kids are having fun with that. Yeah, of course they are. All right, so like, er, let me just ask you this, and then I want to move on. Is Matt Campbell ever going to beat Iowa? Yeah, as long as he stays there. I mean, and there's no yeah. doesn't seem to be any slowing down at that point. I think the next big hurdle for Matt Campbell at Iowa State is to get is to start the season off better. We've seen yeah. this before. We go back to that note uh, from earlier at the Oregon game that we were talking about. We have seen this before for Iowa State to start the year off s- slow. So this we sh- both should have picked Oregon. We both should have picked Iowa. Yeah, we both you should have picked you, you talked yeah, me out we of both, Iowa. I, you're right about that. We both should have picked some of these games because we just should have known better in terms of Ohio State's run defense and what they gave up to Minnesota and then in this spot too Iowa starts Iowa State starts the year off slow and here they go. Second week of the game or second game of the <laughs> season. And uh, here they are, you know, messing around. Well, speaking of things that we should have known, I, I didn't see this coming. Stanford beating the crap out of USC. Hey, oh, uh, look, I'm not getting back on David Shaw. OK, I'm, that's fine. I'm, not. I'm staying off. I, Clay I Helton. I understand. Clay Helton's gone. Thank God. And but Stanford beat the crap out of them and they did it handily and they didn't even do it by running all over them the way you would expect. Tanner McKee was dealing. Hmm. 234 yards, 16 to 23 for two touchdowns. Have yourself a day, sir, and take a victory lap. Well, and I'm interested too. Maybe that's part of this slowing down, this recalibr, this recalibrating for for Stanford is David Shaw is maybe digging his feet in and saying, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna commit to this throwing transition because that." That's where the game of football is, and it maybe it's going to take a little while because they've been so geared towards running the football. We're, we're going to get back, or we're going to try to transition to this throw game. We've got the quarterbacks in the pipeline. We like this Tanner McKee kid, and we're gonna we're gonna let it we're gonna let it rope that way. And it might not take off this year. Maybe it does a little bit towards the end of the year, uh, and maybe it's not till next year. But maybe that's what's happening there at uh, at Stanford is he's making that transition, and because of personnel and different things, it's taking a little bit longer. You're not going to be a, an elite recruiter at Iowa at Stanford anyway. So uh, you know maybe it just takes a little, little while. Yeah, um, I want to take a second and say I told y'all to keep an eye on the Utah BYU game. I told you y'all to. I, you did. I said it was going to be close. Um, I wasn't man and enough to pick BYU. Well, and that's, that's surprising. You. Huh? Yep. That well, and that's you too. After starting the, you know, at the, in preview season, you were not a big BYU fan, but something changed quickly, and you yep. noticed it uh, right off the bat. And um, BYU got Utah 
in a very uh, another one of those veteran teams that's losing early, and you're kind of like, what what's going on here? Yeah, and and they they went on the road, dude. I don't. Did you get to watch any of that game? Just really, I saw some of the highlights, but I didn't get to finish the highlights. There's a really good YouTube page that does like twenty to twenty five minute highlights that aren't you know just the thirty second clips or whatever, and I didn't get to finish those. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say, you know who gets to take a victory lap in that game? The fans. Hey, uh, the, good gracious. The, those Mormons can party, bro. Like hey. they, they were going crazy. Um, and the, this BYU team is a lot better than I thought they were. And they may get another upset coming up this weekend. That's a little teaser for the, for the, for the picks coming. Um, Miami Appalachian state, you said it could be closer. Um, I, I don't know what to think of this Miami team, so I really don't have anything to add. You got anything to add? I will give a little bit of credit to Miami. Usually, after a team goes and gets their absolute brains beaten in by Alabama, we've seen teams have a hard time bouncing back from that. And Miami bounces back with a win over a solid App State team. It doesn't look pretty. I think sometimes we want to give credits. We want to give credits to App States. And we want to give credits to UABs for being well coached and tough and those different things. Coastal Carolina, we want to do that. And then when it comes to a narrow victory like this for Miami, we sort of start talking about, well, hey, man, you guys should have, uh, this App State, you guys should have been more talented and all these things. And it's kind of like, we can't have it. That's kind of talking out of both sides of our mouths a little bit. You know, that's fair. That's fair. And and that's not me calling you specifically, just, and I think in general it it happens, because it even happened to me earlier, you know, talking about UAB. We got to give them some credit. I mean, on in terms of on the front side and on the back side of of uh, of those matchups. So yeah, uh, I, I give credit to Miami for winning a tough game against a tough team after getting their brains beaten in by Alabama, who yeah. sometimes you know demoralizes teams into a a bad rest of the season. It's so true, so true. Uh, okay, um, Pittsburgh. Wait, I have one. Oh. I have one. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, Pittsburgh goes into Knoxville, handles business. Um, and I, I wanted to bring up one more big game, and then I wanted to go to picks. Did you have something you wanted to add before I go to that? I, I do have something I need to add. I need for uh, somebody to take responsibility for the uh, absolute garbage of trashing Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech last week. There was some trashing that happened uh, <laughs> in, in and around this podcast with ridiculousness of, of Kennesaw State beating Georgia Tech. And uh, the Jackets, with their backup quarterback, Yates, I think is his last name, went off and threw like four touchdown passes. And Georgia Tech was looking very good, 45-17 over, I don't even know what their uh, nickname is. Is it the Owls? Owls? Yes, the Owls. Yeah, the Owls at Kennesaw State. So um, please take uh, some stadium stairs, Uh, Roberto. I haven't made you run stairs for any any pick that you got wrong, like with the Tennessee-Pittsburgh pick, by the way. Okay. Uh, so. Tennessee only lost that game by a score. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. Did Any, they not? 41-34? Is that not a Did one you watch score? the game? Did you watch the game? Uh, I watched the extended highlights, and I saw a team that had plenty of chances and couldn't capitalize on them in Tennessee. They were chances. Listen, there's a What's level his name? Of, Go ahead. There's a level of sass that's not needed right now. Oh, well, it's here. I'm, I'm <laughs> presenting it. All right, look. I'm not getting ready to crown anybody yet because I need to see them play a big game against a, an opponent who I think is actually good. But Michigan went Michigan went and handled business against Washington this weekend. And they did it in style. They looked good doing it. 
when was the last time we heard that? I don't know. Against a, against sort of a, I guess Washington's not a big time opponent. Dude, yet. their offense sucks. Sucks. It is so bad. Like, like, but here's here's the thing. Here's what I will say. Okay, serious problem. It may not mean anything right now, but it could come up to matter later. You got to give me more than forty four yards passing, Cade McNamara. That is literally his stat line, bro. Forty-four um, yards passing. Just give me JJ McCarthy. Yeah, please and thank you. They didn't even put him in the game. Um, well, yeah, you know why? Because he can't. Because Jim Harbaugh to save his life, and I've been a Jim Harbaugh guy. Jim Harbaugh can't have JJ McCarthy go out there and do another Superman throw. His uh, his best. Oh, <laughs> uh, what's the kid's name at Kansas City? He can't go and have him doing a Patrick Mahomes impression, running out to his right and then throwing over to the left and completing a beautiful touchdown pass 80 yards down the field. No, no, we can't have that because then then the fans are going to start breathing down your back when Cade only throws for 44 yards and this kid's got double the double the passing yards on one throw. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't, when you've know, got, I don't know what it is. When you've got Blake Kurum and Hassan Haskins, one running for 171 and one running one for 155, like, you don't need anything else, you know? But It'd be but, nice to have something else, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Um, so, look, I'm, I'm going to give them credit while they have it. They'll, they should probably be ranked. Um, but but that's all I got for the for recoveries for the week. Um, I'm sorry, for the, for the games of the week. Spencer, we – I think this weekend is going to continue the trend of great games um, every week. Uh, what say you? Just you know, just talking about the week ahead in general. Yeah, I think uh, you've got an Indiana team with their backs up against the wall. Um, they're in a very peculiar situation with the Cincinnati group that is, you know, sort of under the radar, looking to put themselves back on the radar uh, in terms of those playoff conversations and sort of redeeming kind of how the year ended last year. I'm sure there's an element to them that are, you know, we had Georgia, we we could have won that ball game and. And um, so that whole group, I'm sure, is is feeling some sort of way. And I think there's a path for, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, I think there's a path in Gainesville for the Gators. I don't think it's necessarily a yellow brick road with a bunch of, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, rose petals and lollipops, but I think there's a path. I think there's uh, seems to be a little bit of a path. Again, nothing fancy, nothing over the top, nothing, you know, great. It's going to be a hard road for both. Florida and Auburn this weekend, but I think there's something that could exist for them. I think Virginia and North Carolina could be fun. Michigan and Miami, Michigan State and Miami could be could be fun as well. And um, you could start to see Virginia Tech maybe um, make their way into maybe a little bit more of the national conversation or um, at least the top of the ACC conversation with their game against uh, West Virginia. Yeah, no, I I agree with everything you just said. I just I think this weekend is a is another one of those weekends that there's going to be huge impactful games. There'll definitely be some upsets somewhere that we just don't we're not thinking about. But let's let's go ahead and let's pick some of these games. Um, Friday night, I'm really excited for this game. Oh, by the way, really quick, I am so excited because this is going to be the first weekend of games that I'm not traveling. I don't have anywhere to go. I get to just chill with my son all day because he'll be with me and Lisa will be at drill and him and I are going to go do something in the morning together, tire him out, 
go get lunch, and we will sit down the rest of the day, and we will watch college football together. And I cannot tell you how excited I am about this. Um, but anyway, let's start off with Friday night, 730. I, I think I think this is a very big game. I think it's a very important game. I think it's an important game for, for Gus Malzahn as UCF goes into Louisville. Um, I'm going to pick UCF to win this game, but I'm telling you right now, I'm a little – I'm a little hesitant to be confident about it because I think Satterfield is a better coach than a one-on-one record. And I think he just got unlucky the first week playing who they played against. And so I'm going to pick UCF, but I don't feel confident about it. All right. So I don't love Louisville's defense right now. I don't think they're very good on third down. And UCF is just, you know, they've been, they've been high powered and they're high powered right now. Gus Malzahn seems to have, accessed the throwing part of his playbook and it's working really well with Dylan Gabriel. I didn't know. So, that, by the way. <laughs> well, uh, there's a lots of people in Auburn who would agree with you. Um, so I think Dylan Gabriel is doing well with it uh, right now. And that offense is, is clicking, doing what it needs to do. Could Louisville upset that? I, I don't know if they've done it. They hadn't done it so far. Yeah. And I don't know if they'll be able to slow down, Sort of a veteran group there that has, you know, that Gus Melzon's getting a lot out of. So I'm taking uh, UCF as well. Okay. Um, let's go. To, I'm, I'm just giving the two big games. Okay. We'll do those last. Um, Auburn, I'm so sorry, Virginia at North Carolina. Um, when I look at this game, I think people don't realize how good Virginia is and how fun their offense is. And I think UNC is still not what we thought they would be. And I can't believe I'm saying this because I would not have picked this two weeks ago. But I, I think Virginia goes into North Carolina and wins this game. All right, so I see what you're saying. And I think Brandon Armstrong has really, 744 yards passing already in two games. Against who? I, I know. I'm just, I, I'm, wondering, I, I'm just wondering because I don't know. Illinois, I don't know and, and, uh, Illinois and William & Mary. Like, uh, Yes, okay. I understand. I'm just no, no, saying. No, and I, I'm asking because I don't know because I yeah. truly don't have a good read on this ball game. Like, look, here's the most damnable thing. Okay, here's why I'm ultimately going to pick North Carolina right now. You know who the leading rusher for North Carolina is? I don't. It's their quarterback Sam Howell, who has 24 carries in two games for 139 yards. Sam Howell is not a running quarterback. No. I'm not saying he's not mobile. I'm not saying he's not athletic. But when your quarterback has 139 yards rushing in two games for 24 carries, that tells me you're not being able to produce running the ball with your running backs. There go your ergo, you're having to lean on your quarterback to do so. And if Virginia continues to be this high-powered passing attack, I'm getting yeah. I, I think Virginia goes into Chapel Hill and wins this game. All right, I'm gonna take North Carolina. You think I'm crazy? Not, not, no, no. I just, I think Sam Howell, I think they'll figure it out. I think Sam Howell is, I think this is all, I think they're better than this. I think they'll get it figured out. I think Mac Brown will get it figured out. And that's what I'm going to go with for now. Okay. And, and like look, I said, I don't have a great is, read on this ball yeah. game. This is one of those picks where I won't be surprised if I'm wrong. But I'm going by what I've seen. I've been impressed sure. by Virginia. I have not been impressed by North Carolina. Um, all right, next game. 
this is a, I mean, if during the offseason, like this was one of the biggest games on the year. This was like literally um, Athlon Sports' top 25 games of the year. We have Cincinnati going to Indiana. Um, Spencer, I'll let you start us off. Yeah, it's kind of fallen to the wayside because Indiana's not really come through, and you don't really know how you can trust Michael Penix. He's not been great this season. He wasn't great in the uh, in the win over this past weekend. They got the ground game going, but they got the they got the one running back going in the ground game. They didn't do a whole a whole lot beyond that. I think Cincinnati's just. I, I almost feel like I can't pick against Cincinnati. You, you could probably make the same argument I've been making for Matt Mac Brown and 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 North Carolina that Tom Allen and and this Indiana team will will figure it out and they'll start rolling. I don't know if you can just snap and figure it out against this group. You know what I mean? This this yeah. group for Cincinnati seems to be a little too well oiled. Luke Fickle is is in his prime. He's hitting on all cylinders right now. Spencer, not Spencer. Uh, what's the kid's name? The quarterback there at Desmond, Desmond Ritter. Ritter. Ritter and yep. Rattler is what I was mixing up there. So Desmond Ritter, I think is is playing really well, and they've got his throwing game going. He's not been. I don't think he's been a super great thrower of five hundred five hundred thirty eight yards and six touchdowns so far. Yep. And and so I, he's not been a great thrower. Maybe that's something Indiana can can push on him maybe a little bit, make him throw in more uncomfortable situations. Um, but the way Cincinnati's playing, I just don't feel like I could go against them. Yeah, like for me, like I'm picking Cincinnati because I think it's a smart pick. I think it's the right pick. But when it comes to like my hope in Indiana having a eight and four type season. It's kind of going to go down the drain if they lose this game. You know what I'm saying? Like it just you kind of, you kind of lose hope that this team's going to be be like they were last year. Um, I mean, I, here's the thing though. I can see how they win this game. You know, it's at home. You know, it's it's at noon. I hate these noon games, <laughs> these big noon games, but it's at noon. You know, they they lost to the number two defensive team in the country in Iowa and they beat the crap out of Idaho, you know? Um, but here's the, here's the damnable thing for me. Michael Penix is only thrown for 224 yards in two games. His QBR is 25. Yeah. So give me Cincinnati. And I, I feel pretty confident about it. I just hate it because you and I both talked about this offseason how much of fans we were of Indiana and Tom Allen. Um, okay. Arizona state at BYU. I am going to take BYU. I feel pretty confident about BYU um, after watching them play this past week against Utah. And Utah is a really good team. I'm not belittling Utah in any way, shape, or form. I just think the stuff that's going on with Arizona State off the field, Arizona State's a four-point favorite, but Jaron Hall may be sneakily. He is, he, is not a better, he is not as good a passer as Zach Wilson, not at all. But he is sneakily maybe a better playmaker than, than, um, than Wilson was the past two years at BYU. And when I look at this Arizona state team, like, yes, they are two and zero. Yes. They are. They're number 19 in the country, but they, they've only beaten UNLV. And I don't even know who this other team is. Southern university. Maybe I can't, I, I can't tell by the initials. Um, I, I just, I'm going to pick BYU because I've been impressed by what I've seen from them, especially last week. And it's at home. It's at night. That that crowd is going to be rocking for another week in a row. Give me BYU. 
So I'm weary of a letdown. Uh, the Holy War is usually a really big deal. Yeah. Um, I think Arizona State seems so far to be weathering the storm, and I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on I'm gonna lean their direction here, but I won't be surprised if things start to unravel and it happens here. Yeah. Um, if if King somebody Daniels pushes. Yeah, if somebody pushes on them really hard and it does start to unravel, I wouldn't be surprised if it starts here. But like you mentioned, Jaden Daniels is really good. We've liked this roster. We were, I mean, this was a a Pac-12 contending team, and maybe they still can be if if they can continue to weather the off the field storm. If that doesn't catch up to them, maybe they still will be. Um, but give me Arizona State. I'll I'll take them sort of in the sense of BYU having a letdown. Okay. Um... Next, uh, I, I, we don't have to spend long on this game. Virginia Tech at West Virginia. I I just want to make mention of this, that people should be watching Virginia Tech um, because I think this is a really good team. Um, I don't know what their ceiling is. I don't know what their floor is. But I do know right now, excuse me, I do know that they are one of, they were one of my favorite teams to watch play in just these first couple weeks of the season. Um I'm going to take Virginia Tech, um, but, yeah, I just wanted to make mention that they're a really fun team to watch. Yeah, and I don't know a whole lot about West Virginia at this point. I'm not, I won't pretend uh, Virginia Tech they're has been. West Virginia is the favorite. Really? Yeah, how the heck is that possible? They got, sm- I, don't, like, I know it's 30-24, but they got smoked by, by Maryland. And then they, they, beat, they beat LIU 66-0. Like, come on. No. Yeah, I, I, I think S&P Plus has Virginia Tech favorite, favorite in this game. Yeah, I'm, yeah, uh, I'm by, by just a handful of points. But, yeah, um, Virginia Tech, big night there against North Carolina, and maybe they have things figured out. Uh, I'm, their offense has not seemed to be the issue uh, under under what's-his-name. So, yeah, give me, uh, give me Virginia Tech. Okay. Is this some kind of, like, rivalry game? Is this game played every year? I don't think it's played every year. No, I okay. don't believe right. so. Okay, just you know, just those, there's usually those kind of random games that are like that sometimes. Um, okay, the game that I'm excited, one of the biggest games I'm excited for, um, and it's a twelve o'clock game, and so I, I'm so excited to be dialed in on this. Michigan State at Miami. Miami's a six point favorite. I don't know why. Assess because you don't know. You, people still don't know what 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 Michigan State is. You, you've got Dorit King. He's probably all six of those points for for Miami, in, in all honesty. And I know he's not played great this year, but yeah. people are sort of taking the the career uh, as a whole and, and, and giving it to Miami. And, of course, they're still the whole most experienced team with all the production coming back. And, you know, you get the feeling that they're going to pan out a little bit. And they've had two tough games to begin the year with. And here's another third game that's going to be really tough as well. Um if you're if you want to go in some sort of marathon direction here and take Michigan State, I don't think that's absurd. But you've got uh, a really good matchup in terms of uh, I think the Michigan State offensive line has been playing very well, and the uh, Miami defensive line has been playing uh, pretty well also. So you got a good matchup there. But I think Derek King is probably all six of those points in terms of what his career has been. Probably so. Um, here's what I see. All right, the stat stat of the season, why I'm picking Michigan State and feel pretty darn confident about it. 
Michigan State has already passed for their quarterback, Peyton Thorne, has thrown already for 465 yards in his two games. But Kenneth Walker III, that sounds like a lawyer. Um, Kenneth Walker III has rushed for 321 yards in two games. They are sixth in the country in rushing yards right now. They have a receiver who's already caught for 245 yards in Jaden Reed. Their defense is top 20 in the country, only allowing 17 points per game. And yes, they've played Northwestern. They handled Northwestern, and they've played Youngstown State. I understand that. But I have been so impressed with what I've seen by um, by this Michigan State team. And I think they go into Miami, uh, hobbled Miami right now, and I think they kind of take advantage of the fact that they are a little hobbled and, you know, like you said, have gone through this gauntlet that they've been going through. And I think they take advantage of it because I think this Michigan State team is well coached. Yeah, I think Mel Tucker is really sort of uh, solidifying himself a little bit here with this with this turnaround uh, for Michigan State and kind of taking advantage of a lot of the transfers that they've had come in, sort of almost like what you thought would happen at Florida State is happening at Michigan State, uh, where he's got a ton of transfers and they're working out and it's uh, starting to look really good for them. Uh, they're staying healthy. Uh, I think if you're picking Michigan State for those reasons, I think it's fine. Um, I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go with Miami. I feel like I think you have them winning the uh, the division. Do you not? Wasn't that on the board at one time? It was for this Miami team. It was. So I, and 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 I understand they can lose this game and still win the division. Yeah, that's not uh, out of the the realm of possibilities. And maybe I'm taking a flyer here. Uh, I don't love, you know, these. I give Miami credit for fighting through and, and winning a game against a tough App State team, doing it three weeks in a row. You know, the the Bama game that that's going to be tough. I'm I'm sort of walking out on the limb here, and uh, and I'm going to take Miami. I'm going to trust that Derek King's going to figure things out and start making plays uh, for this offense. Okay. Um, the 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 game that I had us add. Just because I, because of, based off sheer curiosity, um, Purdue at Notre Dame, two thirty. Notre Dame's a seven point favorite. I think you really want to do that. No, Notre Dame's defense is legit. Like their defense isn't the problem. Their offense is. Um, I'm gonna take Notre Dame, man, but I I do not feel comfortable about it. And if it's another nail biter, if this Purdue Notre Dame game is another nail biter, I think they're gonna get spanked next week against Wisconsin. I'm just gonna throw it out there. I, I'm picking Notre Dame to win. But I'm I'm so cautious about this team right now. Yeah, give me Notre Dame as well. Uh, I'm I'm confident in Brian Kelly to figure it out. I'm confident that this is a team that's improving and they're maybe sort of adjusting who they are. They haven't. They've been sort of a run oriented team. Now maybe they're leaning a little bit more on their passing game, and I'll, I'm trusting that Brian Kelly will figure that out. He's a veteran coach, and it's a veteran staff. And Jack Cohn's not – I mean, he's a veteran quarterback as well, so I'm going to give them the edge to figure things out, uh, even though Purdue itself has a lot of veteran elements. Do you agree, though, that if this is another nail-biter, they just haven't f- found the right opponent yet that's going to beat them? I mean, that could be true, but again, I'm, I'm really in that camp of figuring it out. You know that that's fair. Yep. that you're going to evolve just find through a way to the win. season. Just find yeah, a way to win. Yeah. Well, and and you're going to evolve through the season. And maybe I haven't given everybody through this preview uh, enough credit on that end, but I think that that's an element here for Notre Dame that I'm sort of locked in on. That 
I think Brian Kelly will get it figured out. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Uh, big game number one for the weekend. Um, the wideout. Um, what I would argue might be one of the best pageantry events of the college football season. Like it's, it. it's really, if you haven't seen it, if for some reason you haven't seen clips of a whiteout, go to the YouTubes yeah. and check out clips of the whiteout because it is, it is pretty impressive. I remember sort of thinking to myself at one point, still when Joe Paterno was coaching and the Robinson kid was the quarterback. That yeah. number 12. Michael, Michael Robinson. Yeah. 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 He so went I played rem- fullback in the NFL, by the way. Yeah. Um, I remember him as the quarterback and kind of thinking Penn State, man, Penn State. Hadn't. You know, it was when I was first getting into the college football yeah. and it was kind of like, oh, yeah, Penn State from a long time ago. <laughs> Penn State's not really anything anymore. And then I saw a whiteout game and I was kind of like, oh, this is who Penn State is. You know, it was a little yeah. bit more. It was kind of a teaching lesson of, oh, OK, this is there, what this college, is about. There's college yeah. football inside the South. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Like, because look, you know, the as the blackout is, you know, one of the coolest things I've ever seen Georgia do. This is a yearly thing they do. <laughs> like, yeah, they do this once a year. And they'll probably end up doing it twice because Ohio State comes to town this year too. Right. But This year, yeah. Make up the, for last year. Yeah, but the whiteout, it is the coolest pageantry event probably of all of college football. And, yeah, like, and, and so, look, Auburn's coming to town. Bo Nix has been balling. You know, he looked, he, he did look very sluggish in the first half, first quarter and a half um, it, this past week. Um, he, he put up all his yards and points against Akron. I'm, I was not impressed. Um, I, I wasn't even necessarily impressed with this past week, but there does seem to be there does seem to be a consistency component to Bo Nix's completions. And I will give credit where credit is due in that regard. Um, I'm a little surprised that that Jarquez Hunter is the is leading this team in rushing yards. Um, whenever they have Tank Bigsby sitting on the, you know, sitting right there on the bench. Um, and then whenever I look at this Penn State team, I look at Sean Clifford, who I do not like. You know, unfortunately, I just don't, I don't like it all. But they have Noah Kane at running back. They've got Johan Dotson uh, at wide receiver, who is just, just a monster of a wide receiver. I don't know how he does the things that he does sometimes. And they've got the, they've got one of the top ten defenses in the country, only allowing eleven points uh, per game. I'm, I, like, it's no surprise. I'm, I'm taking Penn State, and I feel pretty comfortable about it. The wideout will be effective. It will be rocking in Happy Valley. And as long as Sean Clifford doesn't lose the game for them, that's all he has to do this game. Don't lose it for your team. This Auburn team does not have the D line that they've had in the years past. They do not. They do not. And I think getting Sean Clifford involved in the ground game could go a long way for you as well. That's a good point. Um, Get Sean Clifford involved in the ground game. And then, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if these two teams sort of exchange a little bit of. Who you know an, an effort there in the first quarter? Who can unlock the running game first? And I think Penn State has a really good advantage with sort of depth. But I, I think Tank Bigsby, if they can access Bigsby, if they can access an offensive line, getting the push for him and creating space for him, Tank Bigsby could be a. I mean, he could be a premier back kind of guy. I mean, he could be. Absolutely. Nick Chubb kind of thing and obviously different physical presence. But, you know, that level of a guy that could just be very difficult to stop once he gets going. 
if they can find that element, I think it goes a long way. And I think if you could get Bo Nix involved in the ground game, this this could be a little bit of a battle of who can get their ground game going first. And if Auburn can keep pace on that end, then maybe maybe that opens maybe that helps them out a little bit and keeps them in this ball game if they can lean on Bigsby and make throws easy on Bo Nix. His road game his road game stats are not great. So bad. And it's yeah, it's the other reason I'll be taking Penn State. Ten and ten. Yeah, ten I, ten touchdowns, ten interceptions. Yep. If if they can if they can force him to be uncomfortable and and who knows the whiteout is gonna do its effort there as well. But if they can force him to to throw things that he doesn't want to throw and third and long and different stuff like that, that at least at this point is in their favor. I'm really interested to see a road game for for Bo, and I'm really interested to see if Brian Harson has calmed him down for real. There was a calming aspect to his throws against Akron. I know it's Akron; they're not putting a bunch of pressure on him. But if they can, if they can get a calm Bo Nix, I think that'll go a long way to helping their chances as well uh, this weekend against uh, against Penn State. But I'll take the Nittany Lions because just at this point rattled bow on the road is 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 too much a common theme at this point okay the big game of the weekend um probably one of the most important games for a conference um in the first three weeks of the season you got alabama heading to gainesville to ben hill griffin stadium um the line is 14 and a half and Dan Mullen has to cover. At the very least, Dan yeah. Mullen has to cover. You say this is an important game for the conference. I think it could be an important game for his his hot seat or his job status or the pressure on his needing to make up ground and be can stay in the thick of the conference race could be right here. Losing to Bama in the the grand scheme of things for a lot of people is going to be like well it's Alabama what do you expect but i think for Gainesville and what they expect for their program just like what Georgia expects we don't want to get blown out by Alabama that can't happen too many times to Kirby Smart we all know that and for Dan Mullen it can't happen too many times either and he can't go and and lose this game uh, in any sort of major uh major fashion here yeah all right, so really quickly, uh, here's let's talk about the quarterback situation with Emory Jones and um, Anthony Richardson. Okay, I, I said last week that they have a dude in Anthony Richardson. Okay, he is he's incredible. Okay, as far as a playmaker, however, and and I, I agree with this, and you know our friend David Waters of Gator Breakdown, uh, you know he thinks Anthony Richardson be starting, but I, I'm going to say this: I don't. There's a reason why Dan Mullen hasn't made that move yet, right? And it's, it's probably because Anthony Richardson is not ha, is not ready to run the offense. He's ready to yes. play quarterback when the game's out of touch, or he's ready to come in and run special plays for him. But he is not ready to run this offense, and they have not been the most impressive. Florida has not been very impressive. That does not mean that they can't be. But here, here's here, here's I mean we're, we're both picking Bama. I know that. But the the things that the things that worry me the most about this Florida game is, or about this Bama game, is the fact that Florida is so is not set on who truly their quarterback is. Apparently, they're going to split the job 
right now. And Dan Mullen, quote, knows the plan that him, Richardson, and Emory Jones have for, for the Bama game. But Bama has an incredible defense. They did not have an incredible defense last year. And they have an incredible defense this year. Yes, I understand that Will Anderson may not play. I don't know if it necessarily matters. Dan Mullen's going to have to coach his butt off to win this game. I, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I don't know if they cover, but I do not think it's going to be. I don't. I don't think they're going to get destroyed because, to be honest with you, after last week, I'm not the most impressed with Alabama. Like, like as this juggernaut who can't be stopped. Yeah. So. Nick Saban apparently has been sort of tapping on this a little bit that, hey, we're we're not where we need to be. And and a lot of times that gets ignored because it's, you know, it's Alabama and you're blowing people out left, right and center. But he's been tapping the table saying you guys aren't listening. And maybe his players and even the media, you guys aren't listening. We're not where I need we need us to be. You know, maybe we're at a B plus level and that's great, but you're not going to win the season at a B plus level. You got to be better than that. And the standard at Alabama is better than that. I've heard mention of a little bit of some question marks, some concerns on the right side of the offensive line. Yeah, they can't and, run the ball the way that we would have expected them to. And if the if Florida can capitalize on that, if they can send multiple pass rushers that way, um, you know, maybe that could be an advantage to slowing down Bryce Young because we've seen with Ohio State if the in that first half against Minnesota, if the quarterback position isn't, you know, the way to slow down the fighter jets outside, get to the quarterback, get yeah. to the quarterback, get to the quarterback, get to the quarterback, go back to the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay, get to the quarterback. So if you can do that, if there's a vulnerability on that right side of the line, I think that is your first big key because then that doesn't, that keeps this game for Florida from being a marathon. And if they can keep it from being a marathon and Emory Jones doesn't have to throw the ball when in, in uncomfortable situations and he doesn't have to throw the ball five times in a row or anything like that, that is big-time advantage Florida. And then that keeps Anthony Richards on the field, Richardson on the field, and that keeps him in the game plan. That keeps an opportunity to switch paces and whatever you want. If you can neutralize Bama's offense, even if you just have – you can do it for a little while – you can keep it close because that's how they kept it close in the SEC championship game. They slowed down Bama's offense and shut them out in the third quarter, and that's how they climbed back into that ball game. So if you can do it here, maybe you can maybe you can have that success and keep things close. But ultimately, Bama's going to find theirs. If you and I sitting here on a podcast on a Wednesday night know that Bama's not super great on their right side of their offensive line, Nick Saban knows. And Nick Saban's working on it, and he's fixing, and he's got today, he's got tomorrow, and whatever they do on Friday, he'll have that time to fix whatever it is to get it ready for this ball game this weekend, at least manageable this weekend. And at some point, this game's going to turn into a little bit of a marathon. Alabama's going to come out and score on three straight possessions or something, and Florida's going to have to respond to that. And I don't think Emory Jones is the thrower of the football. Uh, and, to do that. And, and I'm gonna be honest, I don't I don't think Anthony Richardson is the controller of the offense to do that. Like there there's legitimately there's a reason why Emory Jones is starting, and there's a reason why but also the negative, there's a reason why Emory Jones never took the spot from Kyle Trask, right? Right, right. So like both those things can be true. And 
Anthony Richardson may have 11 carries for 275 yards, which uh-huh. is absurd to me for a quarterback. But here, here's the thing. Like, Bama's not going to get tricked by a running quarterback. Because, again, their defense is so good. Their defense is just so good. And and that's the thing that I think if Florida – like to, I'm sorry to push back against your analysis. I think Florida needs this game to be a shootout for them to have a chance to win this game. Because if it comes that down to a defensive battle, I'll put this. I'll put the talent, the talent of Alabama, over Todd Grantham any day of the week. Um, because the one person we haven't mentioned, Bryce Young. Bryce Young's really good. I don't know if people knew that, but he's really good. And here, here's the other thing that I just wanted to make mention of. Well, uh, well, hang on before you move on to something else. If I'm I'm opposed to a shootout for Florida because I don't think Florida can throw the ball and keep up. I think if this gets to a shootout and Alabama goes scoring on four straight possessions, Florida doesn't keep up with that because they can't throw the football. I guess what what I mean is, well, okay, so last year they knew, like everyone and their mama knew that Ole Miss was throwing the ball, but they still were able to do it on Bama, right? For this to be a shootout – it would take, it would take running and throwing by by you know by Florida. I, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying like, the the for me the scenario in which Florida wins, is a is a close one via a shootout. You know Alabama's defense gets exposed. You know that they're you know that they may not be that good. Um, because he, here's something I do want to make mention of, and this is where also I lose a little respect for Alabama. Miami may not be that good. And that is something that we may need to bring into this analysis. Like, I'm, I'm picking Bama. But Bama being this juggernaut, we could be completely wrong. Look, in a month, they could have blown out everybody else, and it's all for naught, and we're, we're wrong. But after two weeks, I don't know if Miami is that good. I know that Bryce Young is really good. But ultimately, it comes down to this, too. I just don't think Florida has the horses that they did last year, which you've already made mention of. And I just don't know if they have the quarterback to go toe-to-toe with Alabama the way they did with Kyle Trask last year. Yeah, so so just so I'm, I'm, I'm clarifying this, you're thinking Florida has to be something you don't think they currently are yeah. in order to, to keep this game close in a shootout. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Because I, I just don't think Florida's defense is good enough. I don't, I don't think Todd Grantham is good enough well, and that's why I mentioned, yeah, that's why I mentioned that right side of the offensive line. Yeah, if they can expose that, if that can be something that they can attack consistently for a period of the ball game, maybe not the full sixty minutes because Nick Saban won't let that happen, but for a period of the ball game, if they can do that and keep and neutralize Bryce Young, that's sort of the scenario that I'm playing out: is neutralize Bryce Young through that offensive line. Get your running game going. Keep Anthony Richardson involved in terms of whatever it is that you want from him. And then keep things involved on the ground for uh, Emory Jones as well. And whatever whatever wrinkles in the throw game that you're maybe about to expose and about to bring up, there was an article on Swamp 247 about how we've seen there's a portion of the playbook that we haven't seen anything yet for – uh, for Dan Mullen, that you know he's got a bunch of stuff that he's drawn up that we hadn't seen yet, and that he's saving for this ball game. 
you know, that stuff's got, you got to be crisp on all of that stuff. And I think it has to involve Bama not getting off to a scoring stretch. Like you, you're going to have to be, I guess, sorry, it's taken me a minute to get here. I guess I'm thinking Alabama or Florida has to be something defensively that we're not sure that they're capable of being outside of, you know, the pass rush that we 13 and a 13 tackles for loss and seven sacks or whatever it is. That group, if they can show up and maybe overachieve and succeed, neutralize Bryce Young, keep the ground game active, I think that's the scenario that I'm envisioning that is best for Florida. So, took me a minute to get there. Is there who are you picking? No, I'm, I'm no, I'm taking Bama because I just Do you think, think they it, cover. No, no, not fourteen. I don't. The scenario exists to cover for sure because if you can get Emory Jones, if you can jump out to a 14 to nothing lead early, 21 to nothing lead early, and really just blow it open immediately and make Emory Jones have to throw the football, yes. Yes. And then Anthony Richardson barely sees the football field from that running standpoint, yes. You you might good. I think Bama wins. I think I think they cover. I think I'm not the you know I'm not the biggest fan of Dan Mullen. We've we've talked about this. We've also talked about how he likes to make excuses whenever they That's lose true. games. That's true. I think I don't know if he can motivate his team to come back in this scenario if they're if they get down. Let's just say hypothetically because we've all seen it. Let's just say Bama gets up 17. You know, in the third quarter. They come back with a great game plan in the second half, and um, then all of a sudden, Bama just puts it on them because they make adjustments too. I don't know if if I don't know if Dan Mullen is a good enough motivator of a coach to get this team to turn around and to fight back, and I definitely don't think they have the quarterback to do that. So, um, give me Bama, and also, like I said, uh, give me Bama to cover. Very good. Well, those are our picks, then. Um, last thing, and I just want to make mention of this. You didn't know I was going to do this. The recruiting in college football is, is pretty crazy right now. Um, Penn State is sitting at number one with 12 300, top 300 commits. Um, and here, I'm going to read you the top five, and then we can move on from this. But it is Penn State, Notre Dame, Alabama, Texas, Oregon. Those are the top five recruiting classes right now in 2022. Um, obviously the Clay Helton firing affects the recruiting ground pretty heavily. Uh, there's a Georgia player that was committed to them. Uh, I think the number one player in Georgia that was committed to USC or, or one of the top guys, Michael Williams. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he's back on the market. There are several other big games. I think Clay Helton always did a decent job recruiting and certainly getting over here to this area is something to do well and be in Georgia and recruit well. So, um, maybe not a spectacular recruiter, but a solid one. And, the fish that he had on the hook are sort of back in the water at least. So uh, that'll be something interesting to watch over the next few weeks, sort of how the tide changes there with uh, a lot of those big pieces that uh, might be up in the air. Yeah, just wanted to throw that out there real quick. All right, so be sure to uh, like, rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate uh, everybody listening and making us part of your college football podcasting uh, schedule or listening schedule, listening habits, whatever you want to call it. Uh, SpiderDude64 on Twitter for Roberto. 
uh, Spencer underscore Van Horn, V-A-N-H-O-R-N, no E, um, there on uh, Twitter. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. We'll catch you on the flip-flop later. Later.